Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on our team, and I'm delighted to be with you as we do our uh, continue forward in our Theological Foundations series uh, on the enemies of our soul. You know, when I was in college, we had a, um, we had a group of street preachers that would show up at, on campus every year. And they would, they would show up on the quad, and they arrived in a, in a ratty old bus, and uh, they would do their thing. And if you've been, seen street preachers, you know what street preachers do when they do their thing. It is like, they're talking about the world, and you know, what is the street preacher's message? And we had all kinds of hard time afterward, because we would be, these Christians on campus would be like, you guys, like you're making it hard for us to be Christians on campus. And we'd have to kind of like, you know, take a whole year to repair whatever it is that these guys were doing. But it was, what is interesting about the street preachers is that what's their message? What's the street preacher's message? And it's right here, this photo that I found online, you know, this guy says, be wise and repent. I mean, the street preacher's message was always, listen, don't live according to the world. You got to live for the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what the street preachers would all say. They had a sign, repent. I mean, almost every street preacher sign was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And with all of my mocking, I started to think about it. I was thinking, wait, actually, repent. The kingdom of God is near. That's actually Jesus's message. Like, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, you have got to start living for the kingdom because that's what we were made to do and that's how we thrive. And that's the good news. The message goes on, really, the street preacher message goes on to say, in fact, and this is what I think we might have missed by throwing out the baby with the bathwater when I want to mock the street preacher, is our souls may be in peril because we may be living in an unexamined way where we're just living the way everybody else is living but not bringing ourselves under the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And so turn from those ways and live according to the kingdom, says the street preacher. I'm like, oh, that's actually Jesus' message because I don't want to be caught up anesthetized by the air that we breathe, living just the way everyone else is and not being careful to be a kingdom person. And that's the definition of the world as the scriptures define it as one of the enemies of our soul. Remember the three enemies of our soul, the, the, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And the world is one of the enemies that comes against us to keep us from thriving. And when I say the world, by the way, it's just that that we were just talking about. It's the way in which everyone is living that sort of anesthetizes us and makes us, it's just the air that we breathe, it's the water that we're swimming in. And so we're not thinking clearly about whether or not we're under the rule and reign of Christ. We're just living the way everybody is living. That's what the Bible means when it talks about the world. The Bible doesn't mean all the great things about the world. The Bible doesn't, I mean, when we talk about the world, we're not talking about puppies and sunsets and all your awesome relationships and all the great things that God is doing in the world. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the negative part of it that is the way in which everybody lives without recognizing the kingdom of God. Think this. There's a lot of coming in my sermon, but I want you to think this, if, you, if, if this might help you, that you would think that the world is the opposite of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the king reigns. The world is where there's no king in God. 
Now, where did we get this? Remember we did the three enemies of our soul that starts with the deceitful ideas. We're going to talk more about this in a little bit. That's the devil who's wanting to tell us lies about how to live life, about who God is, about who we are, about how salvation is found, what human flourishing is about. The devil's going to tell us lies about that. And those lies are going to play to our disordered desires. They're going to have some market share in us because we're going to be like, oh yeah, actually, because here's some disordered desires I have about where to find life. And then that, when those lies are normalized in a sinful society. That's what the Bible calls the world. Let me give you a definition of the world as best I can come up with. I stole this from a number of smarter people than me and put it all together, but I synthesized this. This is the the biblical definition of that, that negative side as I was talking about the world as an enemy of our soul. It's the system of ideas, values, practices, and norms that are integrated and institutionalized in a culture that is alienated, that is in alienation from and in opposition to the rule and the reign of God. Look at that again. It's the system of ideas and values and practices and norms that are integrated and institutionalized in the culture. It's the way that everybody lives. It's the way in which we live. Again, it's the air that we breathe. But it's instituted in a culture that is in alienation from God. It's in a culture that's separated from God and in opposition to the rule and the reign of God. That's why I say it's like the opposite of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is in control of our lives. The kingdom of God is where God reigns. The kingdom of God is where God is everyone's king. The kingdom of God is where we submit to the rule and the reign and the care and the power of God. The world is where the way that we live is, ready, God-less. I think we should bring back the word godless, at least for this morning. I'm going to have all kinds of words like that. I was so aware first service as I preached about all the different words that I'm using. I'm like, wow, this is sort of a brutal message, but we want to change it to make, not change it, but we want to make sure we hear it afresh to make sure you're not just going, ah, religious pablum. No, this is about an enemy of our souls that we're not going to thrive if we're not aware that we could be either under the rule and the reign of the king of the universe who created us and designed us to live a certain way, or we can live God-less. And that's not how we were intended to thrive. So we say that the enemy, that the world is an enemy of our soul because in the end, the world is a place, if it's God-less, that all it is is a place where we do what we think is best and we essentially do what we want. And if we're just going to do what we want, then we're not under the rule of God. And if we're not under the rule of God, then we are not going to thrive. That's what we believe about the kingdom of God. And so it's the enemy of our soul because we're not flourishing if we're not under the reign of God. There's a text that uh, I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about the world. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, you got to have your thinking caps on because there's a lot in this text. There's a lot of words. So I'm going to help parse it through as we go through it. I insist on Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And, he, and, and, and Gentiles is not the actual word in the Greek. That he's referring to non-religious people. And so think the world, right? He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to urge you that to no longer live as the people who are not God's people live. In other words, the, the world, the God-less way of living. So 
You, you, you don't want to live that way. And then look at the phrase he uses in the futility of their thinking. Isn't that a brutal phrase? But listen, I see a couple of heads nodding because when you think about this word, this, this thought of, yeah, that would be futile in their thinking because where do all the lies start, you guys? It starts, uh, where do all the, the enemy starts? It starts with lies about what's real. In about God and about ourselves. And so if we have a godless worldview, then there's some futile thinking going on there that we're not thinking in terms of what's true. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You hear this, not knowing who God is brings a darkness about how life should be lived. Listen, don't get caught up in how intense this sounds. It's not, this is not a condemning or a judging thing. This is stating the fact that we have to know what's real about who God is and that we're supposed to be under the kingdom, in the kingdom. And so that when, when we're separated from God, I mean, but when we're darkened in understanding, then we're going to be separated from God and then it goes on to talk about because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their hearts. It's just a terrible spiral doom loop of living without an understanding of God and his kingdom. And then verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, this is the, the end of this journey, having lost all sensitivity, sensitivity to God, sensitivity to reality, sensitivity to what's right and wrong. They have given themselves over to sensuality. What is that? What I feel, what I want. They've given them, so they've, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as indulge, to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual craving for more. Wow, good morning. Is that brutal? But we get past our initial like, whoa. And you look at it and you go, this is how the world lives. Darkened an understanding of the way in which we should live, which is under the rule and the care and the goodness and the beauty and the life of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. But having lost all that, it is a spiral into complete self-centered separation from God that does not bring thriving. Wow. Wow. And so my heart for you today, my heart for us in this is to go, if we live there, then that's an enemy of our soul. If we live according to the ways of the world that is this way, then that's an enemy of our soul. Um, here's a key question then I, I, we need to ask about all this. Logan, you want to jump ahead to that? How am I being affected how am I being affected then? This is what we have to ask. How am I being affected by and caught up in living according to the ways of the world and therefore putting my soul and others in jeopardy? How am I being caught up in that? Because you're kingdom of God people. You're biblically astute people. You're people that have said yes to Jesus or are on the journey of doing that. And so you're people who are not in, you're not, you're not worldly people. You're not God-less people, but we have to ask ourselves, how am I though being affected by it, being caught up in it? How is it, how is, how is it the air that I'm breathing, on, breathing in and therefore being part of, of uh, impacting me for, for what uh, I'm looking for in, in life? Because even though we're Christ followers and even though we're in the kingdom, when we live and we swim in this sea, it affects our soul. And we have to ask ourselves, how is it affecting me? 
And you guys, this is such a brutal moment for us to be super honest about ourselves, uh, with ourselves and ask the question, how does it affect me? Because look at, look again at the, the, the way that this progression of the enemies of our soul work. It starts with the devil, it starts with his lies, right? But his lies wouldn't get very far with us because all we'd have to do is know the truth. But his lies get far with us because they play to our what? What is it? Our disordered desires. So we have to, so his lies get somewhere with us because they play to our disordered desires. And then what happens is our disordered desires get, um, can have an impact on us partly because all of those disordered desires are normalized in the rest of the world. This is why it has such power because we go, remember what we said last week about the flesh and our disordered desires? We said our flesh is, is uh, I want to do what I want. Well, the world goes, Amen to that. We're all doing what we want. So everybody live a self-ordered life. Again, that is the opposite of the kingdom of God, which is a king-ordered life. And so we end up in a world walking in, breathing in, swimming in the sea of everybody doing what they want. And it affects our ability to hear God and to be God's person because we like, man, this is the way everybody is living. And so the key question, you guys, is that you have, and we have to answer it, you have to honestly consider where is this happening in your life day in and day out? Where day in and day out are you being affected by the God-less way of living? Again, as simple as I can define the world, it's just the opposite of being under the rule and reign and being in a relationship with Jesus. It's interpreting all of reality as God's not here, I'm the center of it, and so that's what matters. You know, I, I did think to myself, I wanted to, you know, a couple of the ways the, this kingdom of God looks, or sorry, the, the world looks that's so different than the kingdom of God. You know, the biblical call to right living, that there's some right way to flourish as a human being, has... Um, been replaced by just the search for happiness. So right and wrong isn't a thing, but being happy and being self-fulfilled is. You hear the centerpiece being the self in this? Truth, like what's true, what's real, has been replaced by feeling and what, what one feels. Ethics have been replaced by relativism and majority rules. Like, well, whatever everybody is doing is, is the ethic of the, of the world. Um, community in all of its glory and all of its beauty and how God intended it has shrunk to tribalism. In short, God is replaced by the self. And like the judges uh, in the Old Testament that during the time of the judges, it said during those times, Israel had no king and everybody did as they saw fit. So if we're not gonna be kingdom of God people, we're not gonna have a king and we'll just do as we see fit. And if we do as we see fit, then we will be living God-less. And that's the world. And that's why it's such an enemy because we're so tempted to do that all the time because we're in that milieu 24 hours a day. So the, that first question was, uh, you know, how am I being affected? I can't even answer that question for you. I don't know how to answer that question for you, except that we're going to need to look as believers in Jesus at every aspect of our lives, every hour of our days, every dollar that we spend, every priority that we have, every relationship that we're in. We have to continually keep all of those 
underneath the lordship, the kingship of Jesus and ask, am I living more like a follower of Christ or am I living more like everyone in the world that doesn't know him? And you gotta be, not you, we need to be honest with ourselves about that. I mean, that could look like the small individual details of when did this much alcohol become part of my life? Is that just because of the way everybody lives and taking the edge off and having that buzz because it just makes life go a little easier? Like, is that a thing in my life? Let me be honest about it. Is that a thing in my life? To, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just one aspect of your world, to how you spend your time, to what we let in in forms of entertainment. What, like, we need to be the people that are courageous enough to go, how come everybody's watching these shows? Like they're trending. And I watch it and I go, this was pornography 10 years ago in everybody's definition. How am I watching that? Like how is that good for me? Like we have to ask those questions. Is this thriving under the lordship of Jesus? Or is it just living the way everybody lives because it's kind of what we do and I want to do it and everybody's doing it so I'm just going to do it. Oh my friends, that's such a, really, honestly, that's just a lazy way to live. I mean, at the end of that, if you get to, I'm fine with my amount of alcohol I'm having, then great, God bless you. But let's just be honest about it and ask those questions, right? So where are we now? Um, so that's the first question. How, what do we do? Uh, I mean, so how, how is it affecting me? I should know. So the second question is, right, which is what you're asking. All right, well, if this is an enemy of our soul, the way everybody else is living, how do I resist it? How do I resist that? Well, my first point on this is whatever you do, and this is what the scriptures are teaching, do, do not love the world. Whatever you do, do not fall in love with the world. Whatever you do, do not give your heart to the ways of the world. Whatever you do, do not get, prioritize and be all about uh, uh, valuing those things that the world offers, as we just talked about, which is do what you feel like doing, make yourself the, the Lord of your life, uh, you, we can't love the world. I don't even know how to describe loving the world except you know it when it happens in your soul. The, the, first John chapter two, as long as we're doing brutal texts this morning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. You see how we're talking about the difference? We're not talking about you loving this, you know, incredible run you had in the mountains or whatever. We're not talking about you enjoying your vacation. We're not talking about you enjoying your grandbaby. We're, we're talking about giving our hearts to things that would pull our hearts away from God. We're talking about letting ourselves be the God-less center of our whole universe. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For anyone who loves the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16, for everything in the world, and man, we're, here's the word, ready? The lust of the flesh. Come on now. We're like, I don't even know what that means, but I know I have it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what one has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do you just hear the good news in there that there's thriving in, in, in the will of God? There's thriving and living under the care and the lordship and the leadership of Jesus, our Savior, and the world's way is empty. This passage was so brutal. I looked at some other paraphrases. Look at the message. It's so good. This is the same passage in the message. Don't love the world's ways. Does that help you? Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, 
wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Isn't that beautiful? James, the book of James has a, a verse that talks about friendship with God and uses the phrase, you adulterous people. It's like having a, a, an affair on the lover of our souls. You, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God, against God? Therefore, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is stark language. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us? In other words, it really is, we're given the choice to live in this relationship and love with the Father and the kingdom, which is how we were meant to thrive, or we can get everything we can and live the way we want out of the way just because everybody else is living that way and justify it and it'll be destruction. It's not how we were designed to live. And he goes on to say, look at it's like you're becoming an enemy of God. He goes, why do you think that God is so jealous for your soul? Like he wants your heart alone because it was how you were made to flourish. Isn't that beautiful? So, this is like, you know, whatever you do, do not love the world. So how do I not love the world? How do I not love the world? Here you go, I'm going to preach. You ready? I got three minutes on this, I'm going to preach. Number one, get saved. Is that great language? (laughs) I got that right out of the Bible. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that he's the Savior of the world, then you will be saved. That there's no other name given uh, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Like Jesus is the one that restores us to a relationship with God and we no longer have to be separated from him and no longer have to carry the weight of our own uh, uh, sin and brokenness because God has in fact forgiven it through Jesus. That's what being saved is. And why do I say, how do I not love the world? Number one, get saved. Because when you say yes to Jesus, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, now you're going to walk in step with the Spirit. And when you walk in step with the Spirit, then you're going to walk in in the presence of God and flourish as a human being. And when you do that, when the ways of the world present themselves, if if we stop and breathe and think and look, we go, well, that's no way to live. I don't want to do that. I'm going to submit myself to Christ. So get saved. Get settled that we're in a relationship with God. Secondly, and related to this, get baptized. You're like, oh, is he pulling out the stops? Get baptized. Why? Because baptism is a marker and has been from the time of Christ where somebody has settled the issue. I am Jesus' person. I will not live a God-less life because I have God in my life. And nobody, nobody likes to, we're all like, you know, can Jeff, can you baptize me in a little river stream? Can we go to the beach? Can we all, how many of you have asked me that? And how many of you have I said, no, that is a no. We're going to put you up here in the dang horse trough (laughs) where you got to get your bathing suit and then you got to get up and it's all wet and everybody sees you and the whole thing, it is the worst. Nobody likes it. Not one person ever has said, that sounds like a great idea. Get me wet in front of a whole bunch of people. It has been a marker from the beginning of Jesus' followers that people come out of the water and they go, I 
used to be lost without him and I have risen to life in him. This is my identity. I'm a saved person. And the reason we do the horse trough here at church in front of everybody is because then you are saying to the world, this is my story. I'm one of you and you're with me in this. And the power in that, folks, is way underestimated by most of us. So, get saved. Settle the issue. Have the Holy Spirit in your life and then proclaim that to yourself and to the world like you did if you're married on your wedding day. I do. Everybody, I do. That's powerful. If you're like, ah, all right, email me right now, jeff at marincovenant.org and we'll meet and talk about baptism, okay? Third, get connected to the body of Christ. And that's related to everything that I've just said. Get connected to the body of Christ. This might be the main point of fighting the enemy of our soul, the world. This might be the main point of fighting the world as an enemy of our soul because it is the opposite of, a God, of the godless sort of conspiracy in the world that we're all gonna live like God isn't real, but it's a godly community as a manifestation of the kingdom of God. This is how I think it's the antidote. I think it's the antidote because it is a community of deep relational ties in a culture of isolation and individualism. It's a community of deep relational ties where we're with one another in it. And you know how that grows us when we're with one another on a journey uh, toward God? We're in this together. We're all part of this journey together. And we're not going to be alone. And there's accountability in that, which is a, kind of a lame word. But what it means is that there's great reminders in that for us. There's encouragement in that for us. So that thing that happens in the world where you're just like, I kind of want to live like this and everybody else lives like this. Well, in the church, you're like, I kind of want to live like this. But man, you're fighting the good fight. And look at, look at the blessing in life that you're sh- Like, I want that. I want to do that. And so we're a community of deep relational ties that helps us in our walk with God rather than individual and self-centered and isolated, which is brutally hard on the human soul. It's also an antidote because it's a community of holiness. And here, again, another word. There's holiness. You like that word? Holiness meaning godliness, not godlessness. Holiness meaning there's a way to live that God has told us to live because we thrive in, if we live the way that what human thriving is, is following his ways of life, right? So it's a culture of living the way God has wanted us, wants us to live as opposed to hedonism, that's a good word, which is the world going, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. And this is why it's an antidote to be in the church because the church is like, no, there's a way to live and it's pretty awesome. And so we're encouraged that way. The other way it's an antidote is an antidote because the church is a community of order in a culture of chaos, And what I mean by that is just related to what I just said. There's a way to live, and so we're going to order our lives around it. So we're going to order our lives around spiritual practices, as we talked about last week. We're going to order our lives around commitments to one another in fellowship. We're going to order our lives around regular sacraments and worship and baptism and all. We're going to order our lives around these things because we go, that's what life's about. How do I keep forgetting? We keep forgetting because we're the frog in the kettle. We're the fish in the fish tank. We're breathing the air that the world is is in the world, right? So we forget that the antidote is being in the church where everybody's like, yeah, no, we don't forget. We're not forgetting. Let's not forget. By the way, when I say, hey, here's how you don't love the world, get saved, get baptized, get in the church, 
becoming connected to the church, I use the word get connected to the church. I didn't say get in church, just showing up kind of doesn't do that. And so, and we long for you to be in meaningful relationships with other people who are going to help you remember what is true and not have our souls uh, in peril by the world. Got it? All right. Uh, almost done here. And then the last one is get smart. How do I not love the world? Get smart. This verse in, um, in 2 Corinthians is so good. You got to go look it up. I don't have it on the screen, but essentially it talks about the fact that, yeah, we're in the world, but we're not like the world. And so, you know what we're going to do? We're going to actually, we're going to, we are going to be able to take every one of our thinking and we're going to make those thoughts captive to Christ. Is that a great word? Captive. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what I said earlier. Every thought, every dollar, every priority, every relationship and go, is this obedient to Christ? Or have I not really thought it through and I'm just kind of living the way everybody lives? And so now when we do think about Netflix and alcohol content and relationships and all those kinds of things, we actually go, is this obedient to Christ? Or am I just floating in a godless sort of way? That's how we end up not loving the world is we're thoughtful about those things so we get smart. Okay, listen, church, I mean, uh, band, come on in because you guys are gonna have to lead us here. We're gonna wrap up, but listen, I, I asked us how, to, how, how do we not love the world uh, as part of this thought of whatever you do, do not love the world. Whatever you do, do not love the world, but I can't end without saying this to you. Whatever you do, love the world. Whatever you do, love the world because it's not only is it part of battling the enemy of our soul, but it's what Jesus would have us do. It's part of us thriving as humans that we're not like bad world. We hate you. We're going to be a weird cult on the hill. No, this is us being God's people, living in truth, and then being good news to the rest of the world. Not only does it bring good news to the rest of the world, which is part of our job of being in the kingdom, but it also reestablishes inside of us. We're like, yes. This is how I want to live. I want to live for the world, not in the world. Do you hear that? And so, how do we, whatever you do, love the world. You think I got this from myself? No, I got it from a street preacher. It was on a sign, John 3:16. Here it is. For God so what? Loved the world that he sent his son. Do you, do you hear the lack? Do you, do you hear the good news in this? As a, as a sacrifice for sin. This whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17, don't miss it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Church, we don't talk about the world to condemn the world. We talk about the world to save the world. We talk about the world to be light to the world. This is why there's good news in this story. So how do we love the world then? How do we love the world? One, be in it, but not of it. There's a verse in John 17, go look it up later, where Jesus says, well, there it is. Let's look at it. My prayer is not that you take them out. This is Jesus praying. God, don't take them out of the world. He's praying for us. Don't take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from what? The evil one. It all starts with the enemy's lies. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so grow them, sanctify them by what's true, what's real. That's not Godlessness. That's godliness. And so how do I love the world? Be in it but not of it. And secondly, and you're, am I really going to do this? Yes, be in the church. <laughs> Did I say that yet? Be a part of the church because the church is part of Jesus' ministry to the whole world. That's how we love it. Jesus said, 
I am the light of the world. And then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Whatever you do, don't love the world. And whatever you do, love the world. And we'll be God's people in this. So what do I want from you? What am I asking from you? What am I even preaching about today? I want you to know that you're kingdom people. And it's how you were designed to live. We were all designed to live that way. And may we be careful and awake and clear that everything we do, we take captive and we make it obedient to Jesus so that we don't just float and live the way people who don't know him float. And then let's bring that good news to the world. Let's stand and respond to the Lord in worship this morning.